Thank you for listening to the One City Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Here recently, we've been sharing with you our vision for 2021. We've spoke about connecting to God so that we then, in a healthy way, in a holistic way, can connect with people. And then together, together we can find hope. Hope for ourselves, for our family, for our community, for our nation. Connecting to God. A new revelation of who he is so I can have a new revelation of who I am. Connecting with people. There's power in our partnership. And then finding hope. There is a pathway. And America needs a pathway forward right now. A pathway of hope. Because it seems that we've lost so much over the last year. We spoke about horizontal connections last Sunday, and they release vertical power. Because when we get connected together, when we find unity, suddenly the power of God falls. On the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place. That's not geographical. That's in one place, spirit, soul, and body. They were together in that moment. And then there was the release of vertical power. So last Sunday, we were speaking about the symphonic sound of unity. And we covered three things. Number one, the power of place. Right person, right plan, right place equals power. Never underestimate you finding your place. Number two, we spoke about one city church symphony. The sound that comes out of the unity of the house. And the first step to unlimited possibilities begins with unity. And when we come together as one, there's nothing we cannot accomplish. And then number three, we spoke about a symphonic sound. Symphonic, going out, out of the symphony. Our unity of praise, our unity of prayer, our unity of purpose is our greatest weapon. Our greatest weapon. And that's why the enemy works so hard to keep us divided. Because he doesn't want us to step into that circle of agreement. He's afraid of us when we come together. We talked about the empty chair, an empty chair. The Bible says in Acts Acts 2 that they were all together, they were all filled, they all spoke languages. They were all together, all filled, and all spoke languages. The point that I'm making there is we can't do this without you or your language. Whatever unique language that God's given you, and we all speak a different language, We all have a different testimony. We all have a different experience. You bring something to the table that I can't bring. And so there's an empty chair and I need you to fill it. I need you to find your place because there's power and partnership and I can't do this without you. So our statement has been unity, or excuse me, unified diversity creates unlimited possibilities. Unified diversity creates unlimited possibilities. When we come together, there's nothing we can't do. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and let's pick up verses 14 through 23. 1 Samuel 16, verses 14 through 23. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. 
Verse 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of his servants answered and said, look, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, wine, a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly. Speaking of Saul, loved David greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stay, uh, stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed, well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Let's title this, The Symphonic Sound of Unity, Part 2. Father, bless the reading of your word. Speak to us today. May your presence fill this room, and may we experience here this morning this unity and release the symphonic sound from this symphony that will knock down the walls of Southeast Texas. We pray it in Christ's name and everybody said amen. amen. We understand the danger of a vacuum. It's been said, Aristotle made the statement, nature abhors a vacuum. When there's a vacuum, danger is lurking. In our text in verse 14, it said, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit troubled him. Departed, distressing, troubled. The first thing I want you to see here in this verse is number one. You have to know that worship keeps God close and distressing spirits at a distance. Worship keeps God close and distressing or stress at a distance. When we study the life of Saul we find that Saul had two acts of disobedience and both of them were connected to worship. The first one is found in 1 Samuel 13, 12. Samuel said to, or excuse me, Saul said to Samuel, the prophet, I took things into my own hands and I sacrificed the burnt offering. You remember the story. Saul's getting ready to go into battle. The man of God is supposed to come and make sacrifice for him and the army before they engaged. And Saul got impatient. And so he took things into his own hands. He took it into his hands and he did something that he should have never done. You see, when we take things to our hand, we take them out of God's hand. And that's what Saul did. When we take things to our hand, we take them out of God's hand. And I understand that this is the temptation, as with Saul. When there's pressure, there's a battle, there's engagement, there's conflict, there's trouble. By nature, being who I am and my personality, I want to fix things. And I have to be real careful that I don't take things to hand. Because when I take it to hand, I take it out of God's. 
and have to be careful with that. We have to watch this thing and be careful that we don't become controlling and try to control everything around us. You see, that's why worship is so important. Whenever Saul came to this moment of worship, because that's what sacrifice was then. It was a moment of worship to prepare him and the army for battle. He's waiting on the man of God to come in and get the thing started. But Saul becomes impatient. He's afraid he's going to lose uh, his army and their confidence. So he takes it to hand. And when he does, he takes it out of God's hand. This was a moment of worship. And you see, this is one reason worship is so important for us. Because worship is an act of reestablishing our position of surrender. Worship is the act of surrender. It's an act of letting go. Whenever we come in here on Sundays, we come in here with all of our luggage. The luggage of the stressful week. The luggage of the distressing spirits of the world. The luggage of stress and worry and concern. And when we come in here on Sunday morning and we begin to engage in worship, what we're doing is we're throwing up our hands and we're saying we surrender to you. And it's a moment to reestablish that position that God is in charge of our lives and our destiny. If you're stressed out this morning on campus or online, let me encourage you to find a moment of worship. When I feel pressure, when I feel stress, when I have distressing spirits troubling me, I can go into my home, I can put on some worship music, and I can begin to walk through my house and worship and pray, and I feel that load lifting off of me, and I'm taking all my troubles, as the Bible says, Paul said, and I'm casting my care upon him because he cares for me. So the first thing is know that worship Worship keeps God close to you and the distressing spirits away. When you start to worship, God walks in and spirits walk out. That's a fact. That's a fact. Number two. <laughs> so we're going to be here a while. Are you okay? There's bad weather coming. You might as well stay in here with me anyway. Number two, Saul's act of disobedience was in 1 Samuel 15. But the people took the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord. He comes back from battle. He was told to kill everything from the king all the way down to all the animals. But the people kept the best of things, okay, to sacrifice unto the Lord. And you just have to remember in reading this story that tolerating things appointed for destruction by God makes you vulnerable to the enemy. Whenever God says, put that out of your life, put it out. Whenever God says, kill that, kill it. When God says, let go of that, let go of it. When God says, that's not to be a part of you, let it go. But Saul and the people of Israel, when they came back from battle, instead of killing everything from the king down to the lowest servant and all the animals, they brought back the best of the animals. And the prophet said, what is this bleeding of the sheep that I hear? Did you not do what God told you to do? He said, yeah, but I kept the best of it. I kept the best of it for God. And God says, whenever you hold on to something that he told you to let go of, you open a door, you open a door, and you become become vulnerable to the enemy you've got to let it go when God says put it away put it away you see we have to understand these things of this world that try to attach themselves to us and gain our attention 
We want the best of the world, the best sheep, the best, the best oxen. We're tempted to take the best things. And we get caught up in these things. And if we're not careful, we get into idolatry. And the reason God says, be careful that you love not the world, neither the things of the world, is not that God wants to keep things from us, but he knows that whatever we worship, we become. And if we worship things, if we worship mammon, if we worship money, that's what we become. Men that worship money are filled with greed and it destroys them. We become whatever we worship. That's why we have to guard our heart and those things that are, are, are dedicated to destruction, we have to put them away from us. When God says, guard your heart, don't let that be a part of you. Guard your heart. And we put this away. When we do that, when we put it away and we come in here on Sunday and we worship him and him alone, worship keeps God close and spirits at a distance. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. Because if you love these things of the world, the love of the Father will be smothered out. And that's why we come in here to worship. And it keeps our heart pure and our hands clean. And it keeps us from distressing spirits that would trouble you and me. And get us caught up in the things of this world that in return was suffocate the very love of God that's within us. Number two, know that worship is necessary for our mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. 1 Samuel 16, oh master, let us help. Let us look for someone who can play the harp when the black mood from God moves in on you, Saul. He'll play his music and you will feel better. I mentioned this last year that there is what's called therapeutic presence. By truly being present with patients, physically, emotionally, cognitively, spiritually, nurses bring comfort and care to people. This comes from the Advanced Healthcare Network for Nurses. They're learning this, that when a nurse walks into a room to bring care, they have to be there not only physically, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And they can bring comfort to those people. We always knew that. But they're just now catching up to the church. It's therapeutic presence. And I mentioned to you last year that when the glory of God comes in the room, a ka the kabod, it brings a heaviness. It brings like a, 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 like a comforter. And God just pulls that comforter up to your chin. He kisses you on the forehead and he just lays on you in a heavy way and he brings peace and a sense of security into your life. The presence of God is therapeutic. You see, when we step into the glory of God, we step into the rest of God. Exodus 33, 14. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. The word rest there in the Hebrew means to rest or to settle down. Listen, with all that's happened last year and this year, we all need to settle down. That's why church right now is so important. That's why worship is so important. Because when I come in here to worship God and I surrender to him, when I come in here and I worship God and I push back those distressing spirits, when I come in here and I worship God and I put away things, that are dedicated to destruction and I don't allow them to get in my heart and I, I reserve my heart only for him. On this Valentine's Day, my heart only belongs to one. That's him. 
Amen. He gets my heart. None of the things of this world. And when we do that, when we do that, the glory of God comes in. And he, he just tucks us in. And he settles us down. We need to settle down the glory of God. Worship is necessary for our mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. He said to Saul, the servants, listen, let us find a musician. And when he plays, it's going to push back that distressing spirit. And you're going to be okay. You're going to settle down. And you're going to be well. Well. We're talking about distressing spirits. And pushing them back. These distressing spirits that are tormenting people in this hour. Let me talk to you for just a moment about there's power in your praise. We know this. We've taught this for years in churches. There's power in your praise. In our storyline, again, in verse 18, then one of the servants answered and said, look, Saul, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Interesting. The first thing I want you to see here is that David's greatest weapon, David's greatest weapon was not his slingshot, but David's greatest weapon was his harp. His harp. We think that David, his greatest weapon was his slingshot because when you tell the story of David, immediately you think of, of Goliath. We learned that in Sunday school as children. But I'm going to show you this morning where his greatest weapon was his harp and not his slingshot. David won the hearts of men with the killing of Goliath. When David walked out on that battlefield, when those great men of war were afraid and they were not willing to step up, David stepped up as just a shepherd boy with a slingshot and a, and a rock. And by killing Goliath, taking his head off, he won the, the admiration and the applause of those men. But David won the heart of God with his harp. He may have won the attention of those men with his slingshot, but he won the heart of God with his acts of worship. 1 Samuel 13, 14, but now your kingdom shall not continue, speaking to Saul. The Lord has sought from himself a man after his own heart. David won the heart of God. Remember, like, like King Saul, we, 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 we have to be careful or we can lose things that we cease to value. When we no longer value something, then we diminish it and we lose it. And we have to be careful that we don't lose the things of the church, that we don't lose the things of God, that we stop worshiping, that we stop valuing his presence, that we stop coming in here and contending for his presence. We have to be careful with this. We have to be careful that we still place a high value on God's presence, that we still place a high value on being together as a corporate body and seeing the glory of God and people's lives transformed. We have to be careful that we maintain a value for these things so we don't lose these things. 
David won the hearts of men with his slingshot, but he won the heart of God with his acts of worship. Men may remember you for how well you fight, but God will remember you for how well you worship. God will remember you. Listen, I understand. You know, it, it's not, it doesn't always come real easy to men to be very, to be demonstrative in their worship. And I'm not calling for men to express themselves in one way or the other. Everyone has to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Everyone has to work out their worship the way they worship. You have to worship the way you worship. But whatever you do, you have to worship. You have to worship. We know that worship is biblical. We know that raising hands is biblical. We know that men falling to their knees or falling prostrate before God is biblical. We know that shouting is biblical. We know these things. We know that dancing in the church is biblical. David danced before the Lord. We know this. And we have to understand these things have to be valued. They have to be cherished and cared for. We cannot lose sight of who we are as the people of God. We, we, we will fight. We will fight. We will do spiritual warfare. And these things are very important. But we can't lose sight of our worship. God will remember us for how well we worship him. Think about that. David. David was also a carrier of his presence. Now we talked about where there's a vacuum. It's dangerous. Where there's a vacuum in your life, where you're not worshiping God, you're not going after him, there's a vacuum and distressing spirits can come in. So worship keeps God close and distressing spirits at bay, okay? Number two, we're talking about the power of our praise. David was a man that worshiped God. He was a warrior, but he was also a worshiper. David could dance before the Lord, then David could take up a sword and take a man's head off. To me, that's true masculinity. The ability to worship and the ability to war David had both going on. And David, David was a man of the slingshot, but he was also a man of the harp. And that seems to be a contradiction in our minds. That David could write poetry and love songs to God, but yet he could take up a slingshot and a rock and kill a giant. But that's a real man. That's a real man. A real man can do that. A real man can do that. To worship God and yet take up a sword and spill blood. That's a real man. David was also a carrier of his presence, a carrier. Now, remember the lessons, the leadership lessons that were taught to us by Saul, the leadership lessons of Saul. As you look at the life of Saul, there are some things that we pick up on, okay? And, and the first thing I want you to notice here with Saul is there, there is a danger. Uh, there is the danger of abuse when leadership is dysfunctional, when leadership, rather it's a pastor or rather it's a supervisor on the job, whenever leadership becomes dysfunctional, uh, you're in danger of abuse. Now, now David, excuse me, Saul struggled with rejection. He struggled with the fear of man. He had a psychosis. 
He had a mental, a mental condition, a mindset of rejection and the fear of man. And because of this, he threw spears at his employees. You see, whenever you work for a man or a woman that is dysfunctional, that dysfunction will permeate that business. That's why you have to be careful as a leader to whom much is given, much is required. The Bible talks about this. Be careful how you treat people. When you're in a place of authority, be careful how you treat people that are under you. You got to be careful that you don't throw spears at people. You got to be careful. That's why a supervisor on the job, they have to take their position seriously and understand that those people underneath them, those people are under their authority. And they have to be careful how they treat those people. And they have to be careful with how they set the tone of the office. How they come in and a a supervisor can shift the atmosphere. And Saul was shifting the atmosphere. He was coming in and because there was a vacuum in his life, okay, there's a vacuum. He's not worshiping God. There's a vacuum. And because there's a vacuum, distressing spirits came in. And he became troubled. So they found a young boy by the name of David who understood the power of praise. And when you keep God close, you keep distressing spirits at bay. And so the employees, see, they saw this trouble that was coming on Saul and that trouble was coming on them. And so they said, hey, can we bring someone in to help shift the atmosphere in this place? David was a carrier of the presence. He carried the presence wherever he went and he shifted the atmosphere. So be careful working underneath a dysfunctional leader because typically they will abuse you or throw spears at you. The other thing I want you to see with Saul is that you can lose the anointing without losing the position. Just because you're still the supervisor doesn't mean you still have the anointing for that position. Saul was in the position, but he lost the anointing. We see that earlier whenever he grabbed the tunic of Samuel and it tore. And he said, God's torn the kingdom from you and he's given it to another. A man that's after his heart. A man that understands his heart. A man that is passionate for him. A man that still values his presence and still values worship and understands the importance of worship. He said, there's another man that's coming. And so Saul became dysfunctional because he had a spirit of rejection. He had the fear of man. And so trouble came on him. Trouble came on those around him. And so now his employees are saying, we need some help up in here. And so they bring in David. David, who came in to fill the vacuum, to fill the void where distressing spirits are coming in. Now I feel the anointing this morning. Listen to me. If you're not worshiping your home, if you're not serving God in your home, then you're cracking the window. There's a vacuum there and distressing spirits are going to weave their way into your home. I'm telling you, you've got to be careful with the atmosphere of your home. Watch the internet, watch the television, watch the printed page, watch the words of your mouth. You need to be careful with the atmosphere of your home. If there's a vacuum, nature abhors a vacuum. And when there's a void, there's a vacuum, you may be opening your family to troubling spirits. 
Listen, if you've got trouble in your home all the time, everything's always breaking down. Things are always going wrong. It seems like trouble on every hand. You may need to dig a little deeper. The trouble may be caused by a distressing spirit that's caused by a vacuum in your life. You've got to ask some hard questions. So these employees, they say, look, let's find a worship leader that can come in here with the power of praise, fill this vacuum, and push the trouble out of this palace. Let's deal with this. David was a carrier of the presence. You can lose the anointing without losing the position. It said in verse 15, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord came to torment him. Nature abhors a vacuum. And we must be careful with what influences us. That influences our decisions. With Saul, it was rejection, the fear of man. And it was influencing the things that he did. And so he threw spears at people. And so you and I have to be careful with what influences us. What's, what's shaping your decisions? What causes you to do what you do? You've got to be careful. Is there a distressing spirit in your life? You've got to ask that question. Leadership determines the atmosphere. We know this. And you have to remember this. Men don't quit on you. They leave the atmosphere you bring. Men don't quit on you. Have you ever worked for a supervisor that was abusive? Listen, it don't take long till you get out of there. But you're not actually quitting that person you're just getting away from the atmosphere they bring. That's what you're doing. You're wanting to get away from that person. Leadership determines atmosphere. That's why as men, as the priests of our homes, when we come into our homes, we have to walk in there and understand we can shift that atmosphere. Now the ladies play their part. They do. The ladies are the uh, intuitive side of the relationship where men are the logic. Women are the sensitive side where the men are the strength. And the two together become one flesh to make something powerful. So we both play our role, but the men have a unique position, as the woman does. The man, though, comes in as the priest of the home. And he, have to, he has to realize with his mouth, with his attitude, with your anger, with your abuse, you can, you can jack up that atmosphere. Listen, Somebody can open the door to your home and walk in and immediately em embrace trouble, a troubling spirit, a troubling spirit, an evil spirit has come in because leadership determines atmosphere. That's why as your pastor, I am constantly, constantly asking God to search my heart, to search my heart. I want to be a man. I'm not perfect. But I want to be a man of a pure heart and clean hands. Because I've learned this. You let a pastor get into adultery, there'll be adultery that breaks out in that church. I've seen it. I've seen it. You let a pastor get into pornography, and without even people, without people get into some kind of a, a, a coordinated effort or conspiracy, a conspiracy, pornography will begin to break out in that church. I've seen it. As with the pastor, so goes the people. That's the way that works. 
Because God understands authority and he works through headship. And whenever the priest of a church or the priest of a home begins to open a window, open a door, there's a vacuum. Suddenly, distressing spirits begin to come in and they begin to trouble people. That's why, sir, you need to make sure that you're giving tithes, offerings, and alms. You say, you're going to go there? I'm going to go there for the sake of your wife and for the sake of your children. You need to bring God's blessings on your home and get that trouble off. If you're always short, broken down, not enough, can't seem to make it work, maybe it's because there's a vacuum in your finances and you need to fill that thing with the principles of God's kingdom. Hold on, voice. Hang on. You okay? Take a deep breath. We're going to get there. Leadership determines the atmosphere. Men don't quit on you. They leave the atmosphere you create. They said, let's bring in a worship leader. He's a Bethlehemite. This, of course, is connected to the word Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. So you see, the reason David could walk into the palace There's a vacuum. Distressing spirits have come in. They're bringing trouble on everybody. David steps in with the power of praise. He understands that his greatest weapon is not his slingshot, but his harp. And he walks in there to do kingdom business. And when he begins to worship God and reestablish God on the throne, that presence begins to push out the distressing spirits. And with the spirits go the trouble. Okay? And the reason David could do that is because he was in Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. The reason David could do that is because David smelt like bread. The bread of his presence. He was a carrier of the presence. So when David walked into a room, it smelt like Bethlehem. He's a Bethlehemite. He smells like bread. He smells like the presence of God. David was a carrier of the presence. And that's what we need now more than ever before. David could shift the atmosphere. It was David's ability to worship and shift the atmosphere that brought him before the king. I'm going to say that again because we need that to percolate. It was David's ability to worship and to shift the atmosphere is what brought him before the king. That's what did it. You see, the king did not say, bring me that boy with a slingshot. He said, bring me that boy with a harp. If you learn how to shift the atmosphere on your job, you'll always stand before kings. You'll do it. We understand there's been a vacuum. We understand the power of praise. David came in with a heart, not a slingshot, to fight demons. Look at this, how to deal with demons. And verse 23, it said, David would take a harp and play it with his hand. And then the distressing spirit would depart from Saul. Not the slingshot, not the sword, not the shield or the spear, but a harp, a stringed instrument. He began to play. And when he did, the distressing spirits would begin to leave. So number one, with this verse, know this. Stones may kill giants, but it takes a harp to defeat demons. You gotta have a harp to whip a demon. You gotta have a 
instrument to whip a demon. Look at that. Second Corinthians, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. David could sling a rock, wield a sword, play a harp, and an instrument, his harp was his greatest weapon. You see, I want to say to everyone in this room, as I've said through you, I've said to you, I think since 2010, you have to understand the power of worship. And when you do what you do the way you do it, you're a dangerous person. We've been saying that for the last 10, going 11 years now. When you do what you do the way you do it, you're dangerous. When God uses you the way you are, you're a danger to the enemy. And you need to see that. Whether you play a keyboard, a guitar, drums, a a flute, a, a horn, or a cello. When you do what you do the way you do it, you're dangerous. When you come in here to worship God the way you worship God, when you do what you do the way you do it, you're dangerous. Do you understand you're a threat to demons? Do you understand Lucifer was the, the, the son of the, what they call him in Isaiah, the son of the morning? He was the lead worship leader. Number one worship leader of heaven. But the Bible says that rebellion filled his heart, pride filled his heart, and he fell. And then God promoted you from second chair to first chair. And now you're first chair. You're worshiping. That's why he hates you so bad. Because you do now what he used to do. And he despises you for it. That's why he hates you. When you do what you do the way you do it, you're dangerous. You need to know with this verse that music can attract the presence of God and it can detract the evil spirits. 2 Corinthians, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So when we begin to worship, there's freedom that comes into the room. David entertained the presence of God and because of that, Saul experienced the presence. He experienced, he experienced, excuse me, the, the peace of God. I'm getting tongue-tied. David entertained God, and so Saul experienced God. Think about that. So when you come in here and you begin to entertain God, you begin to worship God, it's not just for your benefit, but for the benefit of those around you. David entertains him, Saul reaps the benefit. Please understand that. It's so important. You have to know that in a service like this, that we can see God move. We desire to see God move. We do every Sunday. We want to see God move. You've got to know that we can do it. We can find his hand at every service. Remember in Kings, he's at Mount Carmel, the sacrifice, the false prophets. And the servant says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And he jumped up and said, there's a great, there's a great storm coming. Tell Ahab to get off the mountain. The size of a man's hand. We can find his hand. We can The Bible says in 2 Kings uh, chapter 3, But now bring me, Elisha said, a harpist. And while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. People ask the question sometimes, why such an emphasis? Why such an emphasis on worship and music? It's because of this scripture right here. It said, while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. 
we can invoke God's presence with our worship, then we can provoke his hand with our faith. I've said that to you many times. With worship, I can invoke his presence. And then with my faith, I can provoke his hand. I want you to understand how important it is that we usher in the presence of God. You see, the Bible talks about ushering in the presence. Ushering in the presence. Ushering in the presence. The word usher means to be a doorkeeper. Somebody who seats an individual. An officer walking before somebody of rank. Now listen to this. An officer walking before somebody of rank. When you worship, you have to know that you are ushering in the presence of the Lord. When we come in here and with hands lifted up, with the music, with the flaggers, what we're doing is we're ushering his presence into the room. And we're doing it not only for our benefit, but we're doing it for the benefit of others. Think about this. David entertains God and Saul experiences his peace. When we come together as a corporate body, it's so important that we all engage because remember the empty chair. Every symphony has a chair and you have to find your chair and you have to take your seat and you have to begin to engage the way God wants you to engage. You have to worship God the way you worship God. But when you do that, we're ushering in the presence of the Lord. Stones may kill giants, but it takes a harp to defeat demons. There are people on this campus and those watching online that are experiencing trouble in their life because of distressing spirits. This is happening because of a vacuum. They quit worshiping God. You need to find a worship leader that will help you, that understands the power of praise to help invoke the presence of God so it will push out the distressing spirits that will carry the trouble with them. You need to do that. Never underestimate the power of your praise. And never forget, it may take a slingshot to kill giants, but it takes a harp to defeat the demons. David, come help me. Stephen, think about this. Everyone in this room and on campus and online is an instrument of praise. We preached this years ago when we talked about your, your soul is a creative womb because you're, you're, you were created in the image of Elohim, which means creator, creator God. And so instinctively, because of my DNA, you and I are creative people. You just got to find your own personal expression. And when you come in here on Sunday and you begin to worship, you have to understand that the Spirit of God blows through you as it did on the day of Pentecost. And it comes out all the cracks and the broken places in your life like a flute or a clarinet or a saxophone. And that's why each person sounds different because each person has a different life experience and a life story. And so when you begin to worship God, there's something very unique that comes out of you. Very powerful. You're an instrument. So listen to this. When man creates instruments, they require either a touch or a breath. 
When God created things in Genesis, he did so by speaking it into existence. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be, uh, uh, let there be trees, and there was trees, vegetation, animals. He spoke it into existence. But when God created man, he got down in the dirt, and he began to touch that instrument. And then the Bible says after he formed it, he breathed into that instrument, it became a living soul. Psalms chapter 115 verse 6 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Why? Because you were created for worship. God got down in the dirt and he touched that instrument and he pulled it out of the dirt and then he breathed into it. Just like on the day of Pentecost when he breathed into the nostrils of the church and it became a living institution. He breathed into man and then man rose up and he began to worship God. He began to do what he was created to do. Perhaps our greatest purpose on planet earth is to worship God. Perhaps that is our greatest purpose is to be worshipers of him in everything that we do. The unique thing, and this is where the rhema word, I never, never saw this before. Five o'clock this morning, I'm in prayer. Early this morning, I'm in prayer. And I'm praying for a rhema word. And God drops this in my spirit. And one, in Psalms 150, he said, breath, praise the Lord. The word breath there in the Hebrew means to blow away, to destroy. It's like a puff of air an instrument it can be an angry breath it can be a breath that comes from divine inspiration it is inspiration of spirits and souls of men so you see when we come together as a church and we worship and we release our breath we don't do that just as individuals but we we do it as spirits and souls as one the corporate body the ecclesia and when we release that symphonic sound as a symphony it has the power to destroy it has the power to knock down walls it has the power to dismiss distressing spirits it has the power to break bondages it has the power to set men free it has the power because we have the breath of God within us and we're not just doing this as people we're doing it as spirits that's why diversity demands unity and unity allows for diversity because we come from all different walks and types and and, and color and backgrounds but yet we speak as one because we're not worshiping from here we're worshiping from here from our spirit it's the breath of God that's within us that's the power of the church you have to know that the breath of praise is one of our greatest weapons in defeating the enemy so let everything that hath breath everything that hath breath release this symphonic sound of unity the breath and God wanted me to come here this morning and tell you that our greatest weapon in 2021 after all that we've been through after all we've been through our greatest weapon this year is going to be coming together as one, understanding the weapon of praise.
understanding that weapon, dealing with the vacuum, dealing with the distressing spirits, understanding the power of praise, and it takes a heart to defeat demons. And with that unity of breath, there's nothing we can't do. Our greatest weapon this year may very well be the breath of praise. Thank you for listening to the One City Church podcast. For more information about our church, visit onecity.church.